0: Happy to have you here oh, I'm
1: so happy to be here
0: yeah it's um it's it's been quite a story for us really, because i think i I was probably one of the first people you interviewed
1: yes yeah i worked, <laughs> i was i think twenty four years old I worked at campus reform like in Virginia and they had you know me interviewing people that were coming to the leadership institute and that was I interviewed you there and that was before I was even wearing the glasses because um a, maybe a year or two later I started wearing fake glasses cuz I thought they made me look cool and smart and I did that for <laughs> I did that for 7 years and now I'm nearsighted in one eye and I actually need them
0: oh so the <laughs> so you were wearing glasses for years and years without Actually needing glasses.
1: Yeah, but I was actually kind of, you know, I I mentioned that on the show before. Like, I I talked about that before, that they were fake. I just thought that I looked pretty cool in glasses. (laughs) And, like, my career honestly took off pretty immediately, started going on the incline after I put the glasses on. So I don't think I was entirely wrong. Uh, but yeah, like I met you, interviewed you, I mean, talking pre glasses. So that's how I know it was. And pre hair extensions, pre all of that.
0: What do you think it is about the glasses? So it just makes you seem nerdier or something? Or like, like, like,
1: so the, one of the reasons I started wearing them is because I didn't know how to do my own makeup. So if I put glasses on, it was like, kind of look like I've been studying all day and not (laughs) just like, I was like a slob. But um, also, yeah, like, I, it made me look a little different. Uh, it made me look like somebody who you'd ask for advice about, you know, the stock market. I was on Megyn Kelly's show. This was obviously, like, years ago when she had the afternoon show. And I was on for a story that I wrote. And I did not have the glasses. And then I wore the glasses the next time I was on for another story. And I got an email on the way home that was like, what are you doing next weekend? What I be back <laughs> on Fox and Friends? So I, I don't know... It could have been that I was less nervous. It could have been, you know, a lot of things. But I choose to say it was the was the glasses effect.
0: When you first interviewed me, you were pretty like fresh on the job. Like this yeah. was this was like a a new thing for you, I, right? I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of remember you being a little bit um, either nervous or maybe a little. Shell shocked or something? Totally. About the whole thing?
1: Totally. I was actually, I mean, I was absolutely terrified because I, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I, ne- I never went to journalism school. Like, I, I had no idea how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a baptism by fire situation, you know, my entire career has been really.
0: And did you want to do that because you were interested in politics or because you were interested in journalism?
1: It's both. I mean, I've always been interested in, like, I've always been, so my, my dad was, like, a libertarian. Like, we got Reason Magazine when I was a kid. So I've, like, been a, basically a lifelong libertarian. And then, um but I've also really enjoyed always writing. And, like, I was a theater kid. Like, I liked performing. I liked, you know. um So I, I kind of always wanted to do something that combined those two things. So I always kind of wanted to do, like, you know, I obviously did stand-up comedy. And it's been a while since I've done that, but. In the stand up sense, but um, you know i did you did that like for ten years on and off, but I always wanted to kind of combine the two because I think that with politics, it's a lot easier to get someone to listen to you if there's some sort of you know if there's inter- if there's entertainment there now in terms of actually interviewing, like I had an internship at Fox Business when I was in college. And, like, I would practice, like, the little stand-ups, like, the little new stand-ups. Like, we're here at blah, 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 blah. And, like, I was just so bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> I would, like, they would be so nice to me. They'd be, like, okay, why don't you try again? Like, you know, but, like, I just – I never I – don't, I don't think I have it in me to be a reporter.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's, like, how it is for everyone, right, when they start yeah. something new. I, when I started in politics, I don't think I knew what I was doing in terms of public speaking at least. Yeah. And you're always just nervous. And my thinking was, I had to just keep pushing through it. Yeah. Like, just keep pushing through it. And eventually, people said, if you keep practicing, you'll eventually not be nervous. And that was true for me. Like, how long did it take for you to feel comfortable where you could go either do an interview or do stand up comedy? I mean, that's got to be very. Difficult, right?
1: Yeah. So I can't I, imagine
0: doing stand-up comedy. That's, that's got to be one of the most nerve-wracking things.
1: Yeah. So I've never felt comfortable doing stand-up comedy. And I've done, you know, I mean, h- like hundreds, if not thousands of sets throughout my life. And it always make, you know makes me nervous. And I quit and I end up going back. Um, but that, I think, stand-up comedy helped me on TV a little bit because it's, le- like, it's less nerve-wracking. You know? Like, you don't have to make everybody laugh. You just have to just, like... Be all right um, I think so I had I had gotten a job as a web editor at the Washington Times did some radio stuff I quit that job for a lower paying job at the Leadership Institute because they were going to give me TV training a little bit and like try to get me on TV because that's ultimately kind of what I decided I wanted to do um, but I once I finally actually started getting the chances to do it I was terrified every single time I think it took probably years and then the hits I was um you know kind of got more comfortable doing like fox and friends i'm like okay but then i was a red eye fan like in college so the first time i was ever on red eye the first time i ever met greg and we joke about this now but i was so nervous i like threw up in the bathroom before (laughs) um but then i just pretended i wasn't i was like okay let me play the role of somebody who's not terrified right now and then when i started doing like the pilots which were basically auditions for the greg gutfeld show same thing terrified um I think I stopped being less terrified after I they actually hired me. <laughs> but, you know, cuz it's like what you want to do and and so if like the stakes are high then your nerves are going to be up there too.
0: Yeah, so what do you think it is that makes you more comfortable? Cuz I have I have my own views on it like why I became more comfortable at public speaking and I think maybe it's hard to relate to when you're not doing constant public speaking like I ended up doing. But what made me comfortable was the fact that I felt like I no longer had to make first impressions. In other words, all of the fears that maybe this audience won't like me started to, started to wane because they're familiar with me. When I went to town halls the people either already didn't like me or, or already did like me and nothing I did was going to make a new first impression. So I could only really win people over who didn't like me and the ones who did like me at that point, they weren't going to be lost really unless I, you know, did something crazy. So over time you start to get more comfortable because you're like, these people have already seen everything you are and you can't really change them for the worse.
1: Right. And I mean, I kind of made the decision early on. I mean, just I'm, uh, you know, wasn't going to worry too much about in terms of what, you know, an audience would think about what I had to. What like what's the point of a platform for a platform's sake? You know, if you don't actually care about what you're saying or believe in what you're saying, then what's the point? And I think, uh, you know, obviously, as a libertarian, There's going to be some things that I say that the Fox audience loves. You know, there's going to be some things that I say that they might not love so much, depending on, you know, if it's an issue, um, you know, say maybe immigration or something like that. Um, And I just, you know, the first time, the first few times that I said something that really, you know, kind of pissed people off and then everything was like, okay, eventually that there's kind of a lot of power in that, even though I'd already made that decision I think that it's a lot easier to get hate from people if you know that you're at least getting hate for something you, that you believe in. Um, mm-hmm. That you were just staying true to yourself, and it can still suck. I mean, people can say, you know say some horrible stuff. I don't really look at my mentions as much anymore as I used to. I have like the quality filter on and all that, but you know, it, 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 I don't. I can't imagine how it would feel for somebody who's like being a grifter. And you know, getting hate for like their grifting. Yeah. Because at least, like, then what did you go? What are you going through that for?
0: One hundred percent. You said yeah. something that really resonates with me. It's that when someone criticizes you for who you actually are, it doesn't sting that much. Wow. No. Like, I don't. <laughs> when people actually get my views correct on Twitter, when they're like, "I don't like Justin Amash because X," and they actually correctly state my view.
2: Yeah.
1: I
0: I don't mind at all. I'm like this. It doesn't bother me one bit.
1: I know. I remember, like, I had, I had somebody say something like, "Is Cat really saying that she wants to decriminalize dis- all drugs and any drug that might be invented, no matter how lethal?" And I quote, tweeted it. I'm like, "Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying."
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> I think. I think what's upsetting uh, to you, just as it is to me, is when people get our views wrong. Yeah. And and what happens a lot of time as a libertarian but even just as a human being people will come on twitter and say things about your position that that are completely wrong and then they hate you for it and you're like that's not even my position
1: yeah like there's so many things to hate me for like at least pick one of those i mean it's it's so because it's it's obviously you know the polarization and if you say something bad about joe biden then that means you love donald trump and if you say you know that you don't necessarily buy a certain media narrative on something related to Donald Trump, then that means that, you know, you're, you know, super MAGA or, you know, it's, it's just like, you can't have these individual views that are based on an actual set of principles or ideology. People just actually assume that, like they actually assume if you say something about one side, that's good. Then you're on that side. If you say something bad about the other side, then you're on the other side and that's just not the case.
0: Yeah. It's like what I have at the top of my Twitter where it says to a partisan, the nonpartisan is partisan. Uh, And by that, I mean, partisan people will often view nonpartisan people. And this is especially true of libertarians in the sense that our views really are are across the political spectrum. Like some things, some things are viewed as being on the left and some things on the right. But when you're deeply entrenched in the Republican or Democratic world where you are really buying into those parties, it's easy to view anyone who says anything critical of you or of your party as being partisan and being on the other side, even though you'll be critical of, of both parties.
1: Right. And I remember, I mean, we were messaging each other during you know the, the 2020 election where I had a very close friend of mine From over a decade who became like a very strict party line Democrat who was very upset with me on a personal level and questioning my character because I was voting. I was voting. I voted for the wrong Joe. right? I'm voting for Jorgensen. I'm not (laughs) going to vote for Joe Biden. And like this sounds insane, but it's also true. And it's that we don't speak anymore because of that. And that, to me, is insane because my views actually haven't changed at all since I, you know, became friends with this person. What changed is the climate sort of convincing this person that he can not have a friend in his life who is going to vote third party, even though I think and I really believe strongly that a lot of the issues that we have are because of the kind of corruption that a two party system allows because they always have one side's going to de- be defending everything that anyone on that side does for the most part so people can get away with a lot more i think that leads to a lot of corruption and a lot of injustice but i I mean this is one of the, my best friend of more than a decade and wow. that what the, couldn't get past it
0: yeah with, that's that's tough i mean yeah. that's that's really tough to have um a friend who's putting that above your personal relationship right. of like, so many know years. You know me, a... bro.
1: Like, you know me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah I, I'm, I'm sorry about that. But that, that is happening to a lot of people. Yep. You know, where the politics is getting in the way. It happens to families even these days. Yeah.
1: Yep.
0: Doesn't I mean... happen in your family, it seems. You said you're... you're no. You're, you're, were your parents libertarian? Yeah, my your dad's dad? libertarian. Um,
1: My sister is pretty liberal and my brother's like is like more conservative i think i think we all voted different ways actually in 2020 (laughs) and like we're fine
0: yeah (laughs) now did you have like a tough upbringing because you're a comedian at least you did stand-up comedy and isn't it just the case a lot of people who go into comedy are going there because of because of a, a childhood situation. I, I see that a lot or hear that a lot where they had like a rough upbringing and it actually, it brought them to comedy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely, um, I, like I got most into comedy when I was having a really rough time. I started doing the most stand up when, um, I lived in Los Angeles for that Fox business internship and I was going to go to Columbia and go to journalism school, but then I saw how much it would cost. I didn't want to take out a loan that big, so I was like, I'll never pay this back. So I did internships and I lived with my college boyfriend and I waitressed and worked, I was a cashier for a while. But then he broke up with me. And he was like, he's a good friend of mine now, actually. I mean, we were kids. It was like 10 years ago. More than that now. Um, and he was like, you should just like go back to the, you know, Detroit and like, you know, just go live with your family. Cause like I didn't know anybody, and I was like, now I'm never going back. Like, I can't go back. And, um, you know, I didn't... But the thing is, that I was working all the time, but I also didn't have any friends. So... And I and I was so broke. I mean, like, I didn't... I slept on, like, a yoga mat. I didn't have, like, a bed. And then the, then I lost, like, my apartment. I'd, like, move in with this random family, the, the bartender of the California Peace Kitchen where I worked. But I would go and talk about these, like, horrible things um, on stage at, like, open mics and then eventually shows. And um, that, like trying to do it in like a funny way and hearing people laugh was just like so incredibly healing to me uh because it was really scary and I was really young and I was completely on my own and um I think I did develop that earlier like I you know I was never you know um, I didn't I have like a wealthy family um I also I was really really weird like I was in school a lot of people made fun of me um, but I get paid to be weird now, so like it all worked out. But, but- you were a good student, was- right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was a well, my high school, anyone who had a four was a valedictorian, so I was one of the valedictorians. Um, and I kind of, you know, I knew that my parents didn't, you know, have money to like send me away to like in a you know expensive school, so I worked really hard. I got you know I went to Hillsdale, I got a full tuition or half tuition scholarship, and the other half I was in the journalism program, which is basically you worked for the newspaper. And I, uh, so I got full tuition covered, but I decided in like middle school, I like even younger, I was like, I need to study really hard cause I need to get out of here. And it was like, no offense, like to my family, really. I was just, like, there's nothing for me here. I want to do all these things. So I was like, I'm not good at sports. Um, I need to study.
0: <laughs> now that you've gotten so far, do you ever feel like you have imposter syndrome? Yes. Yeah, that's like because yeah, because yeah, I you know when I was in Congress, I used to wake up almost every morning, kind of stunned that I was the congressman for yeah. my district. Like, yeah. like oh they they elected me to do this job, and it was an honor, obviously, but also a bit surreal every day.
1: Yeah, it's it's absolutely like it's, it's even little things like when I come in in my like badge works to get into this building, it's wild to me. Or, you know, if I'll be out and, you know, someone says like, oh my, like, I, they love, I love you on the show. And like, I'm kind of like, I'm not that cool. You know, I'm just, I mean, one of my closest friends, um, he, he was actually, he, he was the flower girl in our, in my wedding with my husband. He was in drag. It was fantastic. He made his whole costume himself. But anyway, we were, he came to one of my speeches with me. And like, there was this student who was like, so excited to be riding the elevator with me. And then after we got off, his name's Keith he was like I wish I got excited to see you (laughs) (laughs) and I was laughing because I've like known this person for like a a decade and I'm like I know it's like I I, like why me and and you start to kind of think like are you sure and you know you get nervous like why do I have this and but you know it is it's not that it's not hard work because it is you know I'm Oh, yeah, I'm at this office. Like, I can tell like you're working. <laughs> right. It looks like you're working
0: nonstop. Like yeah. <laughs> I, I see all the time um, just on different segments and, and yeah, doing different and I, things. And
1: I help write um, for the Gutfeld show also. So I'm, you know, I write all my own stuff, but I also help write for Greg too. Um, so like, I, you know, I, I do a lot of work and it's not just like, people that's the other funny thing is there's some people who think we have like writers or people tell us what to say
0: i was going to ask you about that actually because i watch that show i I watch you guys um not every night but i watch a lot yeah and um because i'm the person who who stays up late every night you know i I, I gotta watch something interesting so how much of the show is scripted because it seems like maybe some of it is being read and other parts are not am i right about that? I, I can't tell if from sitting at home. And are you doing the writing for people, or or does each person do their own writing?
1: So, I've, like all of the conversation is totally unscripted. Um, the stuff that you know, the segments that you know, Greg r- writes his monologue, and then there's the different segments um, where the beginning part, everyone writes one. Well, I write one, and then we have two comedians, Joe Mackey and Joe DeVito, that they punch up like the monologue and they add jokes. Um, but I mean, and I write all my own stuff and I come prepared with material. I come prepared with jokes, but it's the kind of show where you don't always know what's going to happen. So I don't, I'm not always, you know, I'm not always married to the material. I sometimes kind of just see where the conversation goes and, um, kind of take it from there. But yeah, so it's, it's like, it's only the stuff where he's introducing the segment is written. And then we have a. Like I'll be assigned one segment every day and do other you, people. Yeah.
0: Do you find it difficult to keep coming up with material? Cause you obviously want the show to be a little bit funny and light and it seems like you almost have to have some quip or something ready, but you don't know exactly how it's going to fit into the overall show. Right?
1: Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, that can be tough. Like, there was there's been times where I was like really excited to do this bit and I was so I thought it was so good and um and then we didn't get to the segments we did it the next week and I did the bit with a live audience and it was like silent like nobody liked it. <laughs> it was horrible but I learned the lesson of kind of like you should come prepared you should come with bits because like the opposite has happened to me too where I'm like oh I'll riff and then it just I got nothing and I have to kind of So you come prepared, but you can't be like, okay, you have to be, it it has to be a conversation where it's like, you're listening to other people are saying you're live there in the moment, but you do have the material to fall back on. I think the hardest thing is also a bunch of us on the staff submit those guest intros at the beginning. Like she's like a blah, 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 or she's so this or that. Um, And I submit those every day and it's getting harder and harder and harder to write them for myself and for Tyrus because I'm there every day. And Tyrus is there most days. And it's like, how many different ways can, I, you know, we say he's big, you know, like, <laughs> right. that's, that's the hard, that's honestly like the hardest part. And me and the other comedians who, who write the jokes um, for that, like, they're like, how many different ways can we say like cats, like skinny or degenerate or whatever? Cause it was fun. Like <laughs> after my wedding, they were so excited for my wedding. They're like, we can make fun of your marriage now. But then that got old. So it's, that's kind of the hardest part to for me.
0: I have just, literally I thought... Yeah, I've I've literally thought about that aspect of the show, yeah, and, and wondered how and did wonder how you guys were pulling that off.
1: It's tough. Like when we'll have a new guest, I'll be excited because I'm like, okay, I can like do something a little bit new here. But right. that is one of the hardest because it's the same people.
0: Right. I was like, hasn't every description been used up at this point?
1: No. You got to keep thinking. I just like Google. I will just Google like. There's like a website that's just literally list of random objects and I keep refreshing and looking at objects and like looking for something where like I can s- compare it to
0: myself. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, should we go to a couple callers here?
3: Yeah, I would love okay. to. Okay.
0: All right. Let's um Let's go to Sheila. Hello? Hey, Sheila.
3: Hi. It's been a while since we've talked. There's a Giant train running behind me. I'm so sorry. It's hard. I am super happy to uh, talk to you. Hey,
1: hey. I was just (laughs)
3: just kind of thinking about your dilemma, and the thing was is that I I chuckle myself like all the time. I actually recently started, uh, you know, walking out onto the, uh, you know, open mic stage. Yeah. Which was awful. I got blinded. I could, I did like I was just the one joke wonder because I couldn't see anything and I was completely magoo. So next time I'll just kind of walk around the stage before I, I actually try some lines because you know. And then they walked out and they had like one liner, one liner, one liner, one liner, and I had like kind of like a story. Yeah, so I'm not going to bring a saga next time. Uh, that's that's the other thing I've learned. It's um, so
1: terrifying. It still terrifies me no matter how many times I do it because. You know, like there's nothing, there's no worse feeling than just having a, I mean, I like there's been times where I'm like, the audience just hates, you know, this is going back when I used to do it all the time and like feature for people. And I'm like, all right, they hate me, but I've got 25 minutes. So (laughs) you just got to address that. You got to be like, all right, you guys are not feeling me, but I'm not going anywhere. So let's talk about it. And I got more comfortable doing crowd work and kind of turning a crowd more towards me that hated me. It's easier actually to do a 25 minute set than a five minute set, I think.
3: Yeah, I guess you have to figure out what you're gonna do. But uh, to address your Tyrus dilemma, I, <laughs> I put a little. Uh, I thought it would be really cool for you guys to explore some of the overt machismo. And like I said, I, I chuckle myself. Um, I was sitting in the, in the living room, and Walmart did it to me. Uh, they have this product that they're they're billing at Walmart in the in the commercials, and it's the the alpha Alpha King uh, testosterone builder which I thought was hysterical.
1: Oh my, at Walmart, yeah. Walmart, testosterone. yeah, Alpha King,
3: Alpha King plus, and then there's Alpha King immortal. And then I said, well, they need to raise it one more up. They need to finish him. And that that's
1: <laughs> probably where it goes with Walmart test- testosterone. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm not going to
3: shame anybody's choice, but it's where you can buy it. Alpha King. It's, <laughs> it's free advertising, but you know, they can't, they don't have finish him yet.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: Anyways, so that's a free joke. You know, I don't know what, what Fox will do with it, but I'm super proud of all of your mega success. And, you know, you, you've done a great job at Fox. I've watched you for years. Thank you so much. It's been a wild ride. I, I really appreciate that. Okay. Justin, thanks for having her on.
0: Yeah, no problem. <laughs> thanks, Sheila. All right, let's go to Pedro.
4: Uh, <clears throat> Good evening, Justin and Kat. Hi. Uh, uh, so I have a question, uh, and a kind of a general statement. The uh, question is about uh, Twitter censorship. So why do you think uh, we have this current environment of Twitter that they feel like they they have to kind of s- basically censor something that they they don't like. I'm thinking particularly about uh, American journalists that used to work for RT America. RT is a Russian uh, television channel. Um, uh, There is uh, some journalists based in Washington DC, like Lee Camp. Uh, Wyatt Reeb, Abby Martin. Uh, Abby used to have uh, a big YouTube show that was basically cancelled. For She had this show like for 10 years or so. She speaks very much about uh, anti-opinions kind of not very favorable to the, to the United States government. So my question is, uh, what do you think... Uh, Twitter does does I mean it seems they like they are afraid of something. What do you think they are afraid of? Also, Oliver Stone, which is uh, everybody knows Oliver Stone is a famous director, he was also censored by YouTube. This seems like a bit strange to me, so I was just wondering, cat what do you think about it? Or maybe Justin, if you wanna jump into. Thanks. Have a good night. Thanks, <laughs> Pedro.
1: Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I think that the problem with censoring misinformation is that no, nobody can really do that perfectly. So misinformation is all in the eye of the beholder. And I mean, I think, Justin, I think you tweeted something about, you know, free speech, First Amendment versus free speech and how they're different, but both are important. And I And I really agree with that. I mean, I think the answer is always more speech rather than censoring speech, because also... You know, if you if you kind of censor views that you don't like, it can also have the reverse effect of like these people with like these these edgelord types. I mean, if they remember Milo, like they have bought an in, brought like it had an entire career off of the fact that people wouldn't let them just talk. And you can always counter it with whatever you want. And then if you look at, you know, the things that the tech you know companies have censored. I mean, maybe there was, you know, the the lab leak theory, which turned out to be a theory that is actually potentially plausible. Or, of course, the Hunter Biden laptop, which totally was his laptop. And he never he himself never even denied it was his laptop.
0: Yeah, this (laughs) I'm with you that the censorship Just makes people actually more extreme. So to the extent, to the extent that anyone has some kind of wild idea about what's going on, censoring their views is not helpful. I remember we had something like this in Congress where they wanted to pass, I think it was a resolution denouncing QAnon. And I was, and, and saying like, you know, we got to watch out for QAnon. And I'm like, this is exactly what they're worried about. (laughs) Like, right? Right? Like the government passing resolutions against them. I'm like, if you're worried about riling these people up, well, how, what good is this resolution? It doesn't even do anything. Like it's not even going to – it's not going to stop anyone or do anything. So like what's the that point of it?
1: <laughs> and then if you don't vote for it, it's going to be like, well, you're a QAnon. Right. It's just so ridiculous because you, like obviously the way that you get to that point where you're some somewhere you know, in a situation where you are a QAnon follower – is because you've been shut out of so many conversations. And if people say, okay, if you believe this, this means you don't have a voice. You're a bad person. You're a racist. You're a sexist. That's going to push you further into that corner where you're going to be more easily radicalized. And then if you have this belief that the government's against you and the government passes this resolution, <laughs> which does nothing, then that ad just adds more fuel to the fire when, re- you know, you can say, Hey, this is wrong. But, to, to, I mean, I also think that there's more important things to do than – it's just grandstanding at the end yeah. of the day.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you should always uh, fight the speech that you disagree with, right. with the speech that you believe in. You know, right. like if, if you think someone's saying the wrong thing, then say what you think is the right thing and, yes, and, and then let people decide. And
1: also just so like, at, like as a woman, right, a lot of the narrative now that, you know, Elon Musk bought Twitter is that it's no longer a safe space – for women because of the, you know, harassment on Twitter. And it's just, I mean, I of course have experienced horrific, you know, I've seen horrific things tweeted at me probably, you know, probably that I mostly don't even know about because I turn my quality filter on. I don't really look at it, but I think it's what's actually misogynistic is to insinuate that because I'm a woman that like I can't handle it Um, because I can do, you know, handle it just as well as a man can. No, I don't like it. No, it can be tough, but I choose not to look at it. And I would have the choice to anyone has the choice to not look at it if they don't want to. I mean, if you dive deep into your mentions, the quality filter on you, you're you know, you're not going to find something good. It doesn't matter who you are. (laughs) Like if any, but like it doesn't matter who you are. If you're like have any, you know, any sort of public figure, there's going to be and then you think about what kind of person is doing it. Like, I don't do that. I don't I'm not out there like, you know, going after people and saying like horrible stuff to them because that, that's, you know, creepy people are going to do that and that's what they're going to do. And I'm not going to read. and I, I've got bigger problems and, you know, bigger ambitions in my life than to worry about that stuff.
0: Yeah. And I've had so many people say, you know, wild, crazy, oh, vicious, yeah. vicious things about me over time, but I'm not calling for censorship like, no. because, you know, they can say those things. They can be wrong. They're, they're not, hurting me in any way, you know, like people are going to say wild and crazy things and that's their business. And I, I can tell them that they're wrong and explain it to them. And actually there have been many times where someone says something on Twitter and, or on Facebook and it's totally wrong and I'll go on there and I'll politely correct it. And they're like, Oh, thank you for correcting me. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like very, they're actually, they, they turn from like, Justin is such a, you know, yeah. like, you know, whatever, whatever he's, he's a traitor to the country. And then like, I'll explain what it is. And they're like, Oh, thank you for that correction. Like, I'm sorry I said that.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And if there's people that are just looking for a fight, they're just, they're kind of just looking for a fight, but the Facebook comments are kind of a wild ride too. Yeah. It's like some, some grandparents are out there that are just like pretty mean. (laughs) (laughs) That's the fun, like, that's the funnier thing to me than like the Twitter where it's like more anonymous and people will say all these horrible things but then like facebook where it's like they'll like someone will say something horrible like i'm like cats like this like stupid bitch and like she needs to do, 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 do and i look and it's like bernice and it's like a picture of her with her <laughs> grandkids and yeah I'll be, I'll be like bernice like buddy like what are you doing but and i always but i'll defend anything you do you explain i always explain the difference between like saying like I wish, like, I would. I wish you were dead. Like, that's totally protected speech. Like, they wish I was dead. That's different than like, I'll be at your house at eight AM and I'm going to kill you.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. But I, I also love those kinds of things where someone says to me the most horrible thing, and then I'll look at their account and it says like. Um,
1: a Bible well, verse, yeah, loving, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, loving grandfather, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you I know, my
1: grandkids,
0: cri- Christ is first, and yeah. like you know, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm like, okay,
1: it's the same thing with me with some of like the perverted stuff. Where like I'll look at that, I'm like, does your wife know you're on here? Like, you know <laughs> that you're saying this? I mean, again, it's it's a wild ride, but you just it's it's kind of you have to make the decision of are can you handle seeing this stuff? And if not, there's already so many options within Twitter as it is to filter out those things.
0: You must get a lot of harassment being a woman. I don't oh, yeah. experience this in the same way as a man mm-hmm. um, where people will either say things that are demeaning or they'll hit on you or yeah. they'll you know like they'll the also graphic, denigra- yeah like denigrate like, you
1: graphic little porn novels and the mentions essentially involving me. And it's just, you know, you got to think about what kind of weirdo would do that. And that's why I have a lot of, the, I don't, I, I have my, I don't read my Instagram comments. Like yeah. that's my bio on Instagram. And it's true. Like I'll read below because it like shows people that you follow first. But as soon as I see something that someone I don't know, I just stop scrolling because I don't, I don't want to know. And I don't <laughs> have to, and I don't have to know. And if, and if I didn't have the, the discipline to do that, then I probably um, would just turn the comments off. But, you know, I mean, there's just creepy people out there. And uh, I think it's funnier that a lot of the things they say to me kind of go into a void. I, I don't really read it.
0: Yeah. Does If you ever inadvertently read anything, does it ever hurt? Does anything ever sting?
1: I think maybe in the past it did. I think now I'm kind of more desensitized to it. And maybe that's a bad thing. But I also just think that, the more you think about like I I don't do things like that. I don't I don't think my friends do. Like I don't really know anybody who does things like that. And the kind of sad position you'd have to be in your life to spend your time. I mean, I had some like there's somebody who like I would block and constantly makes another account and constantly makes another account and it's just like like that person's not busy. You know, like yeah. they they don't have brunch plans. They don't have probably, you know, like that's what that's, they're probably feeling worse than they could ever make me
2: feel.
0: Yeah. How much time do you have to spend on social media anyways? Cause you're moving around so much. Is it, and is it, I don't know if I'm violating a trade secret. Is it always you on there or do you have someone who's helping you?
1: It is always me on there. Um, I don't, you know, I don't spend as much time as I used to just cause I like, you know, when, when the Godfeld show went from once a week to five times a week, things got a lot more busy. And I have, you know, a lot of other, like, some other things I'm working on. But I think it's it's kind of good to check in. And then I'm on Locals now, which I like because all those comments I can read because people are paying to be there. And I like, because I like to get to, you know, talk to people who support me and get to know them. And But I don't want to have to wade through the rapey stuff or the mean stuff or the perv stuff. So I just can't really on Twitter. And then if like anybody ever like pays to subscribe and they say stuff like that, I just just kick them out.
0: Yeah. So locals is, is a subscription service, right? So Mm -hmm. with something like that, are you more likely to get people who are supportive of you and fans because they're, because they're paying, like there aren't that many people paying to harass you?
1: Yeah. There's been like two incidences of that where like somebody paid and then he said like one sexual comment involving my feet. It's always involving my feet. And um, <laughs> you're like I, yeah, it's like a sub- subset of the population, like whatever the Venn diagram is, it's like the feet people and like the people who are public about that, like inter yeah. sex, and um and again, I don't kink shame, like whatever your thing is, but like I just don't also don't necessarily need to hear it involving me, but then I just kick that person out, but that's only happened like twice it's usually it's people that you know they like to you know read my stuff or they like to um you know, you know, follow me. And like those people, I love to, you know, talk with those people because, and I'm you know, grateful for those people because that's how I have a job. You know, if nobody liked me, then I wouldn't have a job, but it's just, it's harder and harder to do that on social media, but that's not something that really can be fixed with, with like, with social media. That's just, you know, you can't fix, you can't legislate. That's the other thing. You can't legislate like somebody's thoughts. You, you can't, I mean, right. you can, you can try to shut down them from saying it, but they're still going to think it. And I think that, um, this idea of kind of terrorizing people, whether it's, you know, even, even through cultural pressures, you know, from not saying something or not wanting to ask a question about a, you know, certain content contentious topic, say it's, you know, like a, a race issue or something like a trans issue, maybe they have a question as, especially with you know the trans issue, I think a lot of people don't want to talk about it because they're afraid they're gonna talk about it wrong and that's not this like if you are if your biggest if your biggest um, cause in life is like trans acceptance that should be the opposite of what you want because that's not acceptance that's just making people terrified to talk and if we ever really want to get along and kind of understand each other we're gonna need to have those conversations and people who aren't familiar with certain issues and want to learn they might not always ask the questions the right way
0: yeah absolutely Let's go to Nathaniel. You there,
5: Nathaniel? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Yes. Hi. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, Justin, actually, really quickly, I, I, I met with you when you were members of Congress and dealt with you on some constituent stuff. I greatly appreciate how good your office was, and I really miss you, man. Um, Thank stay you. Stay involved. Uh, I, you and Cat should do something together. But I mean, I do, I do miss you. I think you did a really great job, and fair and balanced. I think you have brought up some good points, and I'm glad you made them. Uh, as far as Cat's concerned, like Cat, I don't know anyone who doesn't like you. I've been a, com- a comedian <laughs> for about six years, and Thank I've actually can. worked with Joe DeVito Joe DeVito I used to watch Joe DeVito do stand up comedy in a basement, facing a photo of himself on the wall. All right. <laughs> um joe and i go way back um so he's a really nice guy, but, um i'm also the guy who does all the filters uh snapchat filters where you guys are on gutfeld and post them on twitter like oh, been- I, okay cool cool. yeah
1: no so, I, pre- um, I appreciate that
5: um listen i really really would like and I, i'm in iowa right now watching a beautiful sunset like it's gorgeous i'll send you I'll, I'll instagram you a photo of it but people in iowa would really like some more appreciation from everyone out there and fox and the conservative news agencies um like i would really like you and tyrus and greg and i've met greg plenty of times i mean i see I, he, he he can sit on my lap he's really small he's, but small. <laughs> you guys are really great um we actually have quite a bit of comedy out here lots um and i would uh i really want to do comedy with you and tyrus i missed it at caroline's i actually performed there a couple times i used to do a lot of performances at, at broadway um But uh, I would really like to bring you, Joe, and Tyrus to do comedy in Iowa because I'm working out here right now. I go back and forth between here in New York quite a bit. But as far as your guys' books and your radio shows and just the political climate as well, um, and libertarians are popular out here. It's a major party in Iowa. So I know they would love to have you. And I actually have some ghost-written intros for you and Tyrus. How How can I send them to you for your approval?
2: I'd give it to Joe DeVito.
5: Yeah, but Joe will steal them. I know that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I know. I I I have some pretty good ones actually. That um, I think they're pretty. I mean, you guys come here. I guess I can give them to you. But um, this like you're the only person at Fox whose autograph I actually had put my personal autograph book, not on some random book or something. They put you actually went into my autograph book with all like the. I've met every president since Richard Nixon, and you're in that book.
1: Oh, yeah, I think I actually remember signing that.
5: Yeah,
0: you, yeah. It, 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 being
1: like, I remember signing that because I still remember being like, "Are you sure?"
0: Wait, it's it's so it has all the presidents and yeah. also and also cat.
2: Yeah.
1: Yes.
5: Listen, I've lived in Iowa, so like I've met Nixon before. You know, back in the early '90s, I met Jackie O. I've been golfing with with uh, Ted Kennedy. I've actually have a tie that at Ronald Reagan gave me and a brooch that Nancy gave me. I've ridden in three different presidential limousines. I've sat in JFK's and, um... Reagan's. I've been on the Marine One. I've been on Air Force One. I've been on Trump's personal helicopter. And I was, the day before, I was in Barack Obama's Beast Limousine. I watched Joe Biden get shit on by a bird, uh, recently. I, I listen, I, 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 this is what I do. I, am I'm, I'm autistic. So my association with made my comedy really good. Also, comedy is better than therapy because, well, when you date a Taylor Swift album, you need therapy. And that's how I, that's, that's a long story. I'll share some of the time. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean like the only person who's had worse dating experience in the world than cat is me. Um but you know, cat's happy and I'm glad everyone's everyone's happy that cat's happy. That's that's how we know that everyone else in, in, in the world is happy, cat's happy. That's but, what
1: That's what I I said when you know my my one my one year wedding anniversary is actually on this Sunday. And when I got married, I said that this honestly proves that this shit can happen to anyone. (laughs) Like I was the most I was the most single person in the world, dating only horrible people and never working out. And like I was eventually at a point where I was like, I'm so single and I'm so happy being single, and I never want to be not single. And then I met my husband, and then I still was like, I don't know if I like him that much. And then my sister told me to go out <laughs> with him again, and then we moved it like we never spent a night, a night apart. We moved together after a few months and got married. So it's it is it is possible.
5: No well, I just I'm just glad. I mean, he, he's a he's the type of guy who went and he's a veteran. You're a half veteran, but yes. I, I think your problem was, Cat, is that you didn't you were going with guys who really did not deserve a woman of your caliber. I mean, you are way smarter than I've, than you give yourself credit for. Um, You're probably you. And I would say Shannon Bream and two of the most brightest, happiest people. And when you actually meet you guys in, in person, you guys are the brightest rays of sunshine. And I think people need to appreciate that about both of you. And also Janice Dean, you guys are actually the happiest people I've ever met. And you've, you guys are just brilliant, and I, I honestly just hope people appreciate that about each one of you.
1: Thank you.
0: All right, thanks, Nathaniel. But
5: come to <laughs> Iowa, please. Yeah. I'll, 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 um, I'll 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 tweet you and and uh, have Travis follow me back, and then we'll we'll work on getting you guys to
0: Iowa. Okay.
1: Amazing.
0: Sounds good. Thanks, Nathaniel.
1: Thank you. All right.
5: See you tonight on Gutfeld. <laughs> see you tonight.
0: All right. Let's go to um, let's go to David. David? You there? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, David. Um, This is my first time using Colin. And so you, you, they should, uh, (laughs) they should uh, give you some money or something for, for bringing people in. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Well, my question is, uh, I imagine both of you guys for your careers and what you do, you, you need to stay pretty informed on a lot of different topics. So I guess my question would be, what, what do you do to, I guess, try to get a clear vision of, of current events and, and issues and, and things like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, it's, uh, you know, I, I read a variety of things, right? But I think one thing that helps the most is that I do have a core set of principles that um, just kind of apply no matter what the situation is. Uh, I don't really have to wait to see what, you know, I want, you know, someone else says like what I'm supposed to think about something and um, you know, no matter what the situation is, if you have just a core set of beliefs that really are your values and the way you see the world, then no matter what the situation is, you you kind of already have some idea of what you think. All you have to do is learn actual facts about it.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with Kat about that. It It was always a help to me that I had a set of principles I deeply believed in so that when I was at town hall meetings or wherever i was um addressing political questions if someone asked me something i didn't really know about i could learn some of the facts and respond based on what they're saying whereas a lot of my colleagues had to wait they had to find (laughs) out they had to find out about this right right if a constituent asked them something at a town hall they'd be like uh let me get back to you on that now that doesn't mean i didn't sometimes just not know enough to to say something but but For my colleagues, it was a lot of the time. They had to wait for Paul Ryan or Nancy Pelosi or someone to tell them what is the thing we're supposed to say to this question, and it does help to have that set of principles. But admittedly, I also had a great staff when I was in Congress. That was very helpful, that I had people who were like-minded, who I could depend on to provide me information, provide me the data I need. Um, provide me all of the background facts that was extremely helpful. And it's one of the things I miss most being out of Congress. I don't really miss the job. I don't really miss most of my colleagues, but I do miss, I do miss having uh, a great staff and having the access to them to have that information on an ongoing basis to know every piece of legislation that's coming up, know them backwards and forwards, uh, because I had staff that were helping to prepare me. Now I have to do a lot of that on my own. Yeah. Which which means I spend a lot of time on Twitter. I spend a lot of time um, reading bills on my own or reading art news articles. But what I what I know from my experience in Congress is, especially when you're dealing with political issues, you can't really depend on what the media are saying about no. the issues. Because it's just not like it's not right a good percentage of the time. I don't know if it's half of the time or what, but it's it's a very high percentage of the time where they really don't know what they're talking about.
1: Yeah, and I think that no offense,
0: no offense, can no
1: no none taken. And I think that's something <laughs> that's important to, to do too, which I sometimes do is I've said like, well, I, I kind of you know I see this, but there's this. I think that it's okay to not always be like i gotta have the hottest take and i'm gonna go in so hard on this even though i don't know what i'm talking about like i think there needs to be a little bit more of of like wanting to listen and wanting to kind of wait and see how things play out rather than being like all right i'm gonna have the hottest fire virus take so i can get on mediaite and like people will pay attention to me because i think that that's so harmful again i always go back to i don't Want a platform just so I can like have a platform. Like it goes back to you know these certain you know issues that I care about and mm-hmm. values that I have. And if I don't, if I'm not sure, I just I I will sometimes even say that. Like, and I I think that should be a little more common. Yeah, you can't yeah. Be an Expert on everything.
0: But Kat, a lot of people these days, especially. Um, I guess, sort of Twitter celebrity types, yeah. I mean, people who are influencers or whatever, they're on Twitter and they might have their own podcast or they might be media personalities. A lot of them don't mind just spouting off and then being wrong, right. Like, like they could be totally hypocritical and somehow they don't really feel the kind of shame that maybe you and I would feel No. If if we said the wrong thing. And I, that's a little bit difficult to navigate on social media because people will be like, Justin, like, why aren't you forcefully saying X, Y, or Z? And I'm like, I don't have that information to make that judgment. And this person's going to say it and maybe they'll be wrong and they'll just move on and not care that everyone's calling them a hypocrite.
1: Right. And I think a lot of people don't care. And that's, again, that's, why I think the two-party system is so bad. It's because kind of everybody's doing it that is so aligned to either one party or the other. And they kind of all defend each other and they're all doing the same thing. And I think that's what allows for the hypocrisy and the corruption is because it's really unchecked.
0: Well, thanks, David. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah. So we got a question from someone who texted in the live chat. Says... Um, I'm pre- pretty familiar with Justin's libertarian beliefs, but I'm not sure about Cat's political compass. I know she's definitely liberty adjacent. Would you con- consider yourself libertarian in general?
1: Yeah, I definitely am. I mean, I, I'm a uh, completely, completely libertarian. I mean, I guess small L libertarian. Although I've always like I've o- and I've said this on television. Even I've only ever voted libertarian in my entire life. Um, and when there's no libertarian on the ballot, I write in my Cat's name. Um, I <laughs> it, like, I, I, so I, I have, I have no affiliation with either party. I know that obviously my workplace is more just conservative, obviously, Fox News, but I've also, you know, been completely, I, I've never said anything that I, that I disagree with, no matter what it is. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm ex- extremely, I just, I just don't, I don't understand anything but being skeptical of people who have power over you as a sort of check on that power. Like, I, I, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Like, how many times do you need to be screwed over or lied to before you start to say, wait a minute here?
0: Is it tough sometimes being on Fox News where people will have very strong conservative views and some of them are your friends and colleagues and they are saying something that you might adamantly disagree with, but it's a little bit dicey. Maybe, I don't know. It's not comfortable to call out someone on the air who is a good friend of yours. Do you ever run into that? It's not because, um, you know, you're going to be enemies or anything, uh, like, but maybe you just don't want to embarrass them on the air or something? No,
1: I, I honestly, I don't, my life just, or my life just went out. I honestly don't um, feel that way. I mean, this was within the past month. Greg did an entire monologue on how much we need bro. And Greg is like, you know, my mentor is a very close friend of mine. I respect him a lot. But the thing is, he also respects me. Um, he did an entire monologue on broken windows policing and like how we need that. And I, I, I I could not disagree. I straight up said I could not disagree more with pretty much <laughs> everything you said. And, you know, I said, you know, there's, you know, all these, you know, if you look at, you know, NYPD and you look at these numbers, it's there's really no correlation between that and violent crime. And that I also just, I just think it's, you know, things like stop and frisk are a violation of constitutional rights and civil liberties. And I felt completely comfortable saying that. Um, I, and um, I, I think that... Uh, it might be not easy for everyone but it just goes back to i'm always going to and i've been working for fox for almost 7 years now and i've 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 taken positions that have obviously not been republican positions and i'm still here <laughs> but <laughs> even like i would rather be honest and and say what i really believe than any other thing but yeah that was an entire and then everyone else on the panel of course did agree with him and i was like i i completely vehemently disagree with everything you just said and I think you're wrong. <laughs> like,
0: right. But that's it a, that, get, it
1: doesn't get much heart, more, more disagreement than that.
0: But that's <laughs> one of the values you add to Fox, right? That mm-hmm. you can come on there and present a different perspective. I mean, that's, that's useful to have rather than having everyone around the table saying the same thing. And you know, I've watched your show and there are people saying different positions, but um, you seem like the more libertarian person in the group. And Maybe there are others who have libertarian leanings, so you sometimes yeah. you sometimes meet some of them halfway.
1: Yeah, because Greg is—I wouldn't say Greg is extremely conservative on a lot of things. Like he's very much for the drug legalization and other things like that. But I'm just complete. He's a lot more conservative than I am on some things. So I'm I'm com- I'm just like completely libertarian. But I think the interesting thing about having the regulars be me and Greg and and Tyrus is we are all we're diff we're different. <laughs> like we have different. Yeah. Like I'm like, it's not like Tyrus is going to, you know, go even Tyrus is going to say something and I'm going to be like, Oh, I was going to say that because I'm not Tyrus. So I'm going to turn my light
0: on. (laughs) Yeah, no, (laughs) go ahead. Turn the lights back on in your room. Cool,
1: We're good.
0: All right. Let's, um, let's bring James in here.
5: Hello. Can you hear me? Hey James. Yeah. Hey, Hey, how's it going? Uh, I wanted to uh, comment on everything I'm seeing with Elon Musk buying Twitter. You know, I hear people on both sides. Yeah, it's going to be great for free speech. Oh, no, it's going to he's going to let it go wild. My thoughts are this. I would rather see what happens in the next six months to two years, because it may be like, you know, when these billionaires buy a sports team and it's just more of a hobby than it is a passion.
1: Yeah, I mean, I kind of I, I, I'm kind of just excited to see it be shaken up a little bit. And I think my view from the beginning, when I saw how much everyone was freaking out, that we're all kind of members of one political party or one political philosophy. And everyone thought, you know, OK, they're overreacting. Why are they such crybabies, blah, blah, blah. I tend to think that people generally, if they're that upset, they have a reason to be. Um, and I, I think that there, you know, the algorithm has been a certain way. And I would rather just have it be open what that algorithm is, rather than say, you know, no, it's not. But then you see evidence of that and you argue. Um, I think that it's got to be at least something I'm excited for something different compared to what the it was
2: before
0: yeah I feel the same way um I hate to keep agreeing with cat on everything <laughs> uh, but i I feel the same way about it. It's more that I'm excited that something may change right. like we've gotten into this steady state and it's not that great like yeah. the the way it's working right now people are really angry with everyone else and yeah. It's, it's created so much tension and I really think the algorithm has a lot to do with this. The content moderation issue where people are, are upset about content moderation or bans, I think that's very much connected to the algorithm in a way that people don't appreciate. The, yeah. al- the algorithm is creating a lot of the tension by forcing or producing certain engagements that end up being at times rather inflammatory and then that – leads to situations where people say things that then they get banned for suspended or whatever it might be if you had a different algorithm you might not have the same problems now i don't know that elon musk can fix it i'm not sure that he can yeah but i do think that it is better to have someone like him who might be able to absorb some of the losses I know that he's got borrowing that's involved in the purchase and all that. I understand all that. But he still has more of an ability as a guy who has a whole lot of money, wealthier than anyone on the planet, to absorb some of the losses to make it function in a way that is more conducive to peaceful discourse. Now, I'm not sure that it will happen. But I do think if there's someone who could make it happen, it's someone like him. Whereas any other uh, person or groups of people in charge are going to be beholden to shareholders and yeah. are going to be designing it in such a way that they've got to get that ad revenue. They've got to get that engagement. And it's very hard for them to make any kind of drastic change.
1: Yeah, I agree. And its I'm not saying, okay, you know... It, this is going to be amazing now. He's going to fix everything. I don't necessarily think that. It's also, I don't like live and die for Twitter. I mean, <laughs> Some of the reactions are just, because even if you look at the way, like a lot of like quote unquote journalism is now, it's like people will write a paragraph and then they'll just do a bunch of tweets or, you know, they journalists are on Twitter all day and it's like, they really want to be Twitter stars more than reporters. And I think, look, Everybody that's everybody the, that's the stuff. algorithm,
0: though, right? Yeah, but that's the, the algorithm, <laughs> right? Yeah,
2: exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. part of part of the problem with the way the algorithm works, and obviously, Cat and I don't know how the actual no. algorithm is constructed, but uh, being on Twitter and seeing how it's impacted what I do over the past, say, dozen years, I'm able to notice certain patterns and what has happened with twitter is it's increasingly a place where people are performing for an audience in other words right we like people are clicking like or retweet to in some sense virtue signal oh, like they're the, the, yeah, that the, you're like with one tribe or another
1: yeah like <laughs> there's people weighing in that don't need to for that exact reason and and, and you just hate to look at your timeline and it's just the same story you know the same article with a bunch of people quote tweeting it and writing this or like (laughs) wow or like really
0: and it's like this isn't adding anything (laughs) right
1: other than to prove like you're on the good team sure and
0: and everyone is guilty of that at one point or another yeah but but the issue is the system is designed to create that kind of engagement. Like yeah. it wants us to do that and it promotes that kind of stuff. When you say that kind of stuff, it feeds into your psyche. Like it's it's designed to make you feel like, hey, you said this and then got 100 likes or 200 likes or 10,000 yeah. likes or whatever. Like there's and... a lot of dopamine
1: <laughs> involved too. For sure. Right.
0: So <laughs> I, I think there's a little bit of um, like a drug addiction in a sense. It's like that where people are addicted to it. And that has very much to do with the way Twitter has designed the system. Now, I'm not saying that a different system will be more exciting, but I think it will be better for our health. You could have a system that is much better for our overall health as, um, uh, as people, as human beings. Even though maybe it's not as exciting, we're not getting that, you know, that injection of dopamine or whatever while we're doing it, but it's but it's more rational and reasonable. Like the way Twitter used to work, right. I remember I remember when, as an example, I was talking to someone uh, about this today, when the Snowden revelations came out, I was like all over that. In fact, I was the lead member of Congress trying to stop the surveillance state, push back against the surveillance state. When I look back at some of those tweets from that era, I'm getting like, 100 likes, 200 likes. Now, in comparison yeah. to today, to today where if I tweet something today and I only get like 200 likes, that's considered like a total it's dud. Right, yeah. it's a dud <laughs> of a tweet. But yeah. but just just not that long ago, if you got 200 likes, that was considered pretty good because the mindset was totally different. Twitter wasn't really about, "Hey, how can we jack up the engagement?" It was just I have something to say, I'm going to say it, and now I said it. And that's right. it. Nobody was clicking, or fewer people were clicking like, because they wanted to show to their friends and colleagues that they liked this thing. Right. It was like, if they wanted to read it, they they read it. And even journalists back then, instead of retweeting it, they might just write a story about it.
1: Right. So exactly.
0: it was just a different world.
1: Yes, it is, it is, and it is also a different world in the sense that the, the like vast majority of people aren't even they aren't on it, and if they are, they're not really tweeting. Yeah, they're kind of just like looking at things. And you know, if you are a politician or you are a journalist or you're in media, then like everyone you interact with is on the on there. So it feels like everyone you know in the country is on there, but that's just not true.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think uh, you know I bring up audience capture a lot, and I tweeted about it today, um and I talked to a lot of people about this. I think that is really dangerous and it's related again to this algorithm. Whatever the algorithm is, we can see it happening where people are getting seduced by the likes and the retweets and they are basically becoming what their audience wants them to become. Yeah. And and I, I've seen this time and again, and I have firsthand experience facing this kind of challenge because I was one of the people who was supportive of impeachment. So as a result of that, the left came in and flooded my Twitter and started liking my stuff. And it's easy to fall into a trap and think to yourself, "Oh, they love me. The people love me. They really yeah. do." And if I said something negative about Trump with impeachment, I'd better just like keep doing all this stuff just to appease them. But like that's not who I am. So yeah. I was able to, I was able to break out of it and um and I'm able to be principled and tweet what I think. So when we have a new president, we have Biden. I'm critical of Biden just like I was critical of Trump because that's who I am. But there's a lot of people who get totally sucked in and trapped. And, and it often starts weirdly with someone being principled where they went against their own tribe or team yeah. or whatever. And then the other side says, oh, you're so wonderful. And then they're like, oh, maybe I am wonderful. I guess I'd better – keep keep going yeah, with this i
1: had that happen with when i said something i had a you know comment about trump that like went viral especially it was because of where i work and it was you know something that was critical of trump and i had all these people following me that were like liberals including like two members of like blank 182 and i was like <laughs> so like i was like oh this is so cool and then like i obviously lost those followers when i because i started tweeting things like I support the Second Amendment. They don't like that as much. So it can be tough to be like, oh, man, like, Mark Hoppus is going to hate this. But, you like, know.
0: Yeah. Oh, I have the same thing where, yeah. like, one of the actors I I liked growing up, George Takei from Star Trek. Yeah. Like he, so he's obviously, like, pretty far on the left. And when I'm criticizing Trump, of course, I've got George Takei saying yeah. things like, isn't Justin Amash so principled? You know, in his George Takei voice, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which nobody can can imitate very well. But it he he was saying those things. It's easy to think, oh, like I wish George Takei were still <laughs> saying nice things about <laughs> totally. me. Totally, but, like, yeah. <laughs> but, but like that's not right. I have to. No. I am who I am. But so many people get sucked into this, and I've seen it with a lot of um, politicians. I've seen it with media personalities. Where it started as one thing, and then they totally became something else because they were getting the love from one of the sides
1: and I think that happened a lot with um, with Trump. and yeah, I mean for me, I'm as a libertarian, I'm always going to have issues with any and every party line Democrat and any and every party line Republican and any you know anyone who's not a libertarian, I'm not going to agree with you because I'm a libertarian. But I think that a lot of Republicans who had issues with Trump, Specifically, and then they started. You know, everyone who's been mean to them their whole life because they're up against Trump. Now they're getting that attention. So now every single thing that you know is about Trump, they have to like hate on that. Yeah, it is Trump because they want more of that attention. And then now, like a lot of them are like full-on party-line Democrats. And it's like, is that what you really believe? Are you finding a way to believe that because you want to keep your new friends? And and you know, I I like. Like you said, you kind of get it. Like I'm sad the two Blink One Eighty Two guys don't follow me anymore. But like <laughs> at the end of the day, like I'm not that sad, you know? <laughs> yeah,
0: I think George Decay. I think George Takei does still follow me. George, do not unfollow me, even though <laughs> even though we disagree on on a whole lot of things, but we agree on some things too. So
2: right, uh, you know, we
0: don't have to be we don't have to be in agreement on everything and in disagreement on everything. Like there's you know there's there's a lot of overlap, um, and there's a lot of Places where we can politely disagree with each other. You know, that's that's the way the world should work.
1: And I know, and I think if more people would do it, I think it would be better because I just I, I, I have a hard time believing that most people really fit into one box or the other. Like you have this exact specific set of views with no deviations or the other. And I think maybe it's the whataboutism, just depending on what media you consume. You think, well, the other side's so much worse. But I don't think this—that's not the best uh, situation for anyone.
0: Yeah, one of the things I've noticed that's really strange is whenever someone from the left comes onto Twitter to criticize me, and a lot of them are coming on and they're followers because they they started following me during the Trump impeachment stuff. Right. But when I go to see, and it says who follows them, it's always Amy Klobuchar. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like if a comment is particularly like off base or like just doesn't get me it's like what happened to the good like someone's like what happened to the good Justin Amash or right. you're just a typical republican it turns out even though I'm not even a republican Right. Um they're like we thought you were good but doing one good thing doesn't make you good. Right. You know, whenever I get comments like that a look and it will show that Amy Klobuchar follows that person. So I don't know what is going on, but but could be some kind I, of
1: software. I don't know.
0: I don't know. I've I've tried to figure out how Amy Klobuchar is following all of these people, and also I wish Twitter could um, just help me get people to unfollow me who are followed by Amy Klobuchar. <laughs>
2: like
0: like if that were some kind of setting, like yeah. you know, have the people who are followed by Amy Klobuchar unfollow me. Um, that would yeah. be great because then they would stop coming into my um, replies and thinking that i'm something i'm not. i'm like, why do you guys it, look if you want to follow me because um, you're you agree with me sometimes you disagree with me sometimes i don't have any problem with that, but like right. it's pretty weird to follow me if the only thing you like about me is that I supported impeachment of Donald Trump, and then everything else is just like an all out attack on me, a criticism, and I 'm a total loser and an idiot.
1: Yeah, and there's like such <laughs> a difference between, like, oh, I disagree with you there, I don't like that, and then even Gutfeld and I will talk about this, and it's, like, this one thing that drives us nuts is seeing the, I used to like you until. Right. Like, like I used, and, it, and it's sometimes, it's the stupidest shit, like, I went on a rant about, like, how AOC is, like, not really a socialist, because she has a French bulldog, and, like, how that dog is, <laughs> like, the epitome of capitalism <laughs> And then, like, somebody was like, I used to like you, and so you said that about French bulldogs. Like, why did you bring the dog into it? And, like, I have a fucking French bulldog.
0: I like the French bulldog connection. I
1: have (laughs) one. Like, I'm just saying, like, this dog is like, it's genetically engineered and it's like C sections. It's like, it's, there's a lot of capitalism involved in one of these dogs, not a rescue. French bulldogs like, are
0: not socialist, you're saying?
1: No, they're not. Like, that's not, like, without capitalism, this dog does not even exist.
0: <laughs> right. So,
1: I mean, but like, like, I used to like you until, and it's like, well, then you didn't like, like, and it's like, I, used to, I say one thing and they're like, well, now I'm unfollowing. And I'm like, then go ahead. Like, then, then do
2: it.
0: Yeah. All right, we've got um, Sheila on here. And if anyone else wants to call in, feel free now. Um, But we'll go back to Sheila for hopefully um, a quick comment or question. Hey,
3: Justin. I I just want to tell you that your sun is really shining right now because a lot of people in the Democratic Party will follow anything that looks strong. Um, And I've discovered this over the years. They'll love bomb anybody who's like saying what they want today. Oh, oh. I need validation, and so you're validating whatever they're they're on today, and so they'll love bomb anyone who does what they want. And you're a politician; you should know all about that. It's like, do what I want, do what I want, Justin Amash, do yeah, what I, I know. want.
0: I still wish people were more principled. It's just it's so hard for me to you accept in give some ways know. character it's they
3: don't possess.
0: <laughs> it's hard, no. and and but I don't think it's just a a left I- issue. I think the no. right does this too. Oh, I mean, I mean, okay. In in all fairness, let's look at Tulsi Gabbard for a second, who has been saying <laughs> a lot of things that are more and more right leaning. Yeah, I think she is a little bit into this. Um, you know, getting captured by her audience, where they're steering her in a direction and they are saying the things about her that she wants to hear. And if she took a different turn, those people might turn on her pretty quick.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Like, a bunch of piranhas. Like, I've watched it. It, Yeah. It's really ugly. You don't want to be that person because you're by yourself. You know, and I respect Tulsi tremendously, tremendously. I do not want to see her isolated uh, amongst people who do not really identify with her, her political aims and values um just because she's being used for a few talk convenient and fleeting talking points so yeah to to the algorithm stuff because that that's what that's what drew me in that was the little hook that fished <laughs> me in i just want to let you know that that uh, elon actually has an ai ethics um nonprofit and he's been developing um you know the kind of policy channels and he is seeking debate. I think uh, about transhumanism, uh, the brain barrier with uh, neurotechnology. Uh, he's he's doing a lot with, with you know SpaceX and Tesla. But unless he gets that that authenticated like public debate out in the open, he realizes that you know this these technologies are controversial and they're outliers. And we right now we're rickrolled in a in a medical authoritarian um, I don't know what you what would you call it cat it's it's really not very conducive to um, my opinions about my own health and it's it's dystopian and he can't function and think he's gonna get more funding from the government or not get more funding uh, for his his trials or whatever he wants to do with transhuman tech or, or other forms of controversial AI, unless he, he gets that public debate going. He probably doesn't want it to become, you know, cause China will run the vanguard and control everything because from the top down, like like a hive, if they let it happen. The other thing I wanted to say about about Elon is that, you know, Elon can code, Elon can hire 10,000 coders to 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 fix this but does he have the right policy does and this has been the the point of that debate all along like do these people have any leadership where where is the emphasis or where's the, the fire underneath where is it coming from i've participated in algorithmic um you know workrooms for years i i wrote uh I've been writing on it and writing a book on it, you know, in privacy as a spider. But I also did some contributions to uh, AI scholarship um, to try to get them to to understand that it's not just a, uh, you know, an engineer's issue. There is a statesmanship element and a statecraft element. And the more they ignore that and, and seek to kind of like wobble away for it and let the the algorithm build, like take care of it. Well, that's what we have. That's what we have. So I just want to shut up now and let you say.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Sheila. Yeah. I mean, do you
3: have anything to say back?
1: <laughs> I mean, like, I just think that we need, again, I think, like, when you talk about debate, like, there needs to be, like, real... I want real debates, and I want, like, real transparency, which I don't think we have in about anything right now. I mean, like, going back to what we were talking about before, like, it's, it's so much... It is so human, I think, to want to have like have people like you and like like it's so exciting. Like even I just started thinking about that episode of Full House where like Stephanie Tan or I think it's Stephanie. Tan. (laughs) I I don't or maybe it's yes, I'm pretty sure it is. I'm
0: glad you're bringing a full house a yes. show that i'm very familiar with
1: yes and she, like you know like some of, like the popular kids like start talking to her and she thinks it's so cool but then they want to smoke cigs with her in the bathroom yeah yep. they really want to smoke cigs but like people will go do things that all it's so such part of the human condition to go against your own values because you think you want a certain group of people to like you and i think that that makes honest open debate about anything
0: completely impossible are you too young for full house
1: no i watched it when i was little i'm 33
0: yeah, but I swear uh-huh. I was still pretty young when, and I'm, <laughs> I'm older than you, i w- I was pretty young when Full House is on. So yeah. you must have been I, like really young and watching Yeah,
1: it. for some, like I watched it when I was like really little. For some reason, I remember a lot of it. I yeah. don't know why. Like I remember huh. being like, oh, she's going to smoke that cigarette. That's bad for you. Now, of course, I vape, <laughs> I vape nonstop. So I guess the message was lost on me. <laughs>
0: I, I remember, I think I remember that episode with Stephanie smoking.
1: Yeah, it was a classic.
0: What, so what do you think about this? issue of humans moving away from being just organic humans like we are i mean sheila brought this up right the idea that machines will start to in some ways merge with us is is that something you ever think about or fear that like 10 years from now or 20 years from now everyone will demand that they have like the equivalent of uh, a phone built into their body so that they don't actually have to dial anything. All the information is just in their head that maybe it seems kind of goofy at first, but as soon as some people start doing it, others will see it as an advantage to get it too.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that it's like anything else, um, which is that it just kind of slowly sort of happens. I mean, like Gottfeld's really into this stuff and we like, (laughs) we'll talk (laughs) about it all the time in the show. He totally is convinced that we're all getting, you know, like, you know, robots are going to take. Well,
0: I think, I think we are just about at peak organic human. In other words, like we're not, there are already ways in which we modify our bodies, mostly for um, health reasons. You know, there are uh, people who've lost limbs, of course, and and other things where we've, we've been able to adapt and some organs as well. We've been able to adapt our bodies, but I feel like this might really take off in the next generation. And, I don't know if people are prepared for it. I'm not sure what it means to even be human at that point if we're very integrated with machines.
1: Right. And it's – I mean it's its already changed so much. I mean like if you talk to anyone who is like a teenager now, they have no idea what it's like to like go out with your friends and have your parents have no idea where you are because like, <laughs> right. you don't have a cell phone. So, like, you say you're having a sleepover at Britney's, but you're not at Britney's. Like, <laughs> it's a lot harder to, you know, get away and, like, and probably hanging out in a different way when everyone has a cell phone. And, and you just, that's just normal now. And I think that, you know, obviously that's different than what Sheila's talking about, but in, in the, it's also not in the sense that, you know, you just kind of get used to technology and see, you know, it just, you, you don't have the option to not have a cell phone now. Like right. you tell your, tell your boss, like, yeah, I don't have a cell phone. Like you call me, <laughs> I'm going out. Like, that's just like, you're not going to have a job. <laughs>
0: like, Yeah. It's a different world. And you brought up being a kid. Like yeah. when I was a kid, I could just get on my bike in the morning and then come back in the evening. And that was that, like there was, you know, we didn't even have a way to find people.
1: Right. Like if the so- kid <laughs>
0: <laughs> who knows what the kid is doing and then can come back home. And that was considered normal. And now we're like tracking everything very right. precisely. Like, yeah. if you know, if, if I need to know, did my kid make it to school? Well, there's some way to track my kid.
1: Right. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I do the same thing. I get my back. You go, you go knock on your friend's door and you'll say like, like, can, you know, can Kristen, can she come over? Can we play? Like, right. You know, and not like now it's not, and, and, you know, you, you just, th- there was no way to have to, like, you, like I didn't have a cell phone until I had, like, a Nokia thing for a while, and then it broke, like, maybe my junior year. But I had, my senior year, I had, like, a little flip phone. But before that, I just didn't have a phone. So, like, yeah. I would leave, and then I would talk to my parents when I got home.
0: <laughs> right.
1: And that's, like, it blows kids' minds that are, like, t- even, like, teenagers now, or even, like, early, early 20s. It, like, blows their mind.
0: Right, I, I was talking to my um, constitutional law professor about how things have changed, and I was talking to, to Jimmy Wales at Wikipedia about how things have changed, and it's just amazing. Like when I was a kid, even our ability to look things up. Right. I, I try to tell I try to tell my kids this and explain yeah. it that there were facts that were unknowable when I was a kid. Like, (laughs) like I, like there was no way to know it. If I wondered about a particular river in some country across the world, you know, on the other side of the globe, like there might be no way to know about that thing. Or like you might have on a particular issue, some like one line in an encyclopedia somewhere or something, but Now we can look up just about anything and get it. And my worry is that in the next generation, say in the next 20 years or so, there will be technology where we can basically connect all this stuff to our brains. Yeah. And there will be such a temptation for everyone to get it. As much as people say like, hey, don't track me, bro. Like I don't need you following everything I'm doing. I don't want the government knowing what I'm doing. But there will be such a temptation when you know that – Your mind can just look up all the answers instantly. Um, Translations can be made. Someone speaks a foreign language. Well, you've got the translator built into your brain. Like, like, I don't know how people will resist that stuff. And then when that happens, are we human?
1: No, I I totally agree. And especially if like you could get to the point where you don't really have a choice in the sense of if everyone else has it, then you're at that disadvantage. Then like who's going to hire you? Yeah. So you can't you can only you, you can only speak three languages. You can't speak 15 because with your brain implant, then like <laughs> then like the other guy with the brain implant's going to get the job. So I I totally do think about that kind of stuff and I and I can see that happening and it's like how that will change what makes each individual person special.
0: Yeah. Well, did you see I I was going to bring this up. Um, did you see Mike Tyson punching that guy on the yeah. plane? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, why does this guy mess with Mike Tyson? And like
1: Yeah, I don't get it. Like, listen, like I've been drunk on a plane before too. Like, you know, like you got a long flight, you gotta drink, fall asleep, whatever. I don't think I've ever been so drunk in any location that I would start like fucking with Mike Tyson. I, right. I so I don't understand.
0: Yeah, it was it was pretty nuts. I The reason I was thinking about it is because I did have an incident with Mike Tyson at one point in my life, and fortunately he didn't beat me up or anything. (laughs) But I was at a club with him in Las Vegas. I mean, we happened to be at the same club, yeah. And and I saw him there. And so this was like early in the day of like phone camera technology. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll take a picture of Mike Tyson at the club. Here he is. <laughs> and so I start to lift up my phone and Mike Tyson points at me. And he gets up out of his seat and I'm like, oh man, like oh, this no. is this is like the worst scenario
2: ever.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because this yeah. was like a this was like a rooftop club. Yo, oh, you saw your and, life
1: last forward. And I was
0: like Mike Tyson's going to throw me off the roof. Yeah, like this is the end of it. But I somehow managed to um, calm him, calm him down, you know. And I told him, "Look, I didn't take a picture. I, I, I'm really sorry. Didn't take a picture." And he he backed he backed off. But um, like that's very different from what I saw on the plane. They showed the video of this guy just like harassing Mike Tyson, and I'm like,
1: Yeah, like he what? asked for a picture. He gave him. He did the selfie with him, and then he just continued to bother him.
0: Yeah. I was and like,
1: again, you know, obviously you can't like Mike Tyson, I guess, broke the law. Right. But I mean, like, come on. I mean, has like, he
0: been, have they, have that. they, yeah. yeah. Have they investigated him for it? I don't, I don't know what's happened there.
1: Yeah. I haven't heard that. It's also just like, it's not just that Mike Tyson's Mike, you know, he's, he's got the right, re- a reputation <laughs> <laughs> for not being like the chillest dude in town all the time.
0: Yeah, I, did, I do think it's funny that nobody was sympathetic to this guy at all. No, like no, got, no, he, got no. he got beat up by Mike Tyson, and, like, nobody, zero people were sympathetic. I was looking yeah. for one person on Twitter to be like, oh, like, Mike Tyson should have beat this guy up, though. Even, but there on, was the like...
1: five, even <laughs> on the five, even the five, Judge Janine, Judge Janine was like, well, listen, I have to say, you know, as if, you know, I go with the victim, blah, 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 but, but like, come on, like, she was kind of saying, like, she's on his side without saying it, like, Judge Janine even was not like crying any tears for this guy. Right.
0: Yeah. It was. <laughs> it was pretty. There's like, it was pretty. Nuts. get
1: more Law and Order than her. So I hate <laughs>
2: that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mike. He's an interesting guy, though. Like, I heard him on Joe Rogan a couple times, and boy, he gets um really philosophical on the on when he's <laughs> when he's interviewed. Yeah. He can get very philosophical, and then I think they, they showed a picture of him and he was reading like Thomas soul or something like, yeah. like, it was, it was like, Mike Tyson's learning about like, uh, you know, economics and I don't know. It's really something.
1: Yeah. I always, I appreciate an enigma, like no matter what the characteristics are in general, usually it's, it's always interesting to see stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Well, can I know you've got to get going. Um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time, spending it with us today. And oh, it's we, the,
1: part, the pleasure is mine again. If I could have seen this future moment from when I was so nervous to interview you, like I don't know, like nine, ten years ago, I would have I lose my mind. So. I
0: I love <laughs> I love how the tables have turned. <laughs> it's like leading up to this, I was like, this is one of the best things ever that yeah. that years ago, Kat interviewed me and. Look this how was far. A huge yeah. Favor
1: on your part.
0: <laughs> I look. And I was like, look how far she's come. And now, yeah. now she's coming onto my podcast and I'm interviewing her.
2: Yeah.
0: And, um, and it, it really is. I mean, I love it. I don't know. I it, just, I, it just, it just, it has a lot of meaning to me because I, I remember you starting out and I remember you being nervous and I remember you like a
1: pink jacket. Like I remember it co- completely.
0: Yeah. And, <laughs> just, and just to see how far you've come is really special. I mean, Thank it's, you. it's really amazing. So you've got a lot to be proud of.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. So and you're making, you. you're make, yeah, you you're making
0: the me. state of Michigan proud.
1: Uh, same to you.
0: So, <laughs> so, well, thanks. Thanks so much. And, um, hope, we'll catch up with each other again soon absolutely all right thanks cat
1: right. right. bye